have your Bibles with you, open up to Romans chapter 15. So, how many people have had a bad dream either last night or this week? How many people? That's, um, that's quite a few people. I had a bad dream last night. <clears throat> In my dream, I'm, I'm on the sidewalk out in front of my house. It's not a house I've ever lived in that I'm aware of, but that's how it is in dreams. I know I'm on the sidewalk out, in, uh, out by my house, and I'm working on my car. I'm outside the car, and, and I'm doing some kind of work on it. The car is running, and I see another car coming down the street. It's a very boxy-shaped kind of car, and I can look through the windshield of the car, and I see four men inside the car, and they're wearing, like, these ski masks, you know, these black ski masks, and just the eyes and the mouth are cut out. And, uh, and one of the guys, we kind of lock eyes. And he, go, he puts his fist up like this, and I could see he's got all these rings on every finger. Like, like you know, I don't know, we did that as a kid. If you're going to get into a fight, you put these heavy rings on, right? So you could do more damage. So he has rings on every finger. And he looks at me, he goes like, he points at me, he goes like this. Right? I know that the four guys in that car... They're coming after me. And I realize that the way the car is moving, I can't get to my house. And I can't beat them. The way the car comes down the street, the car, their car, the four of them are going to be between me and getting into my house. So I decide to turn around and run the other way, and I run down an alley. I get halfway down the alley, they catch up with me, and they start beating the crud out of me. And I jolt awake. And my response was, Lord, let me go right back into that dream. And so I close my eyes, I go back into the dream. And it's like the tape is rewound. And I get back to the point where I see their car coming down the street. But now the lion of the tribe of Judah is standing next to me. And he roars, and the four of them run away. I like the second ending of the dream better than the first one. That's what we would call lucid dreaming, to be able to go back into a dream or to change the outcome of a dream. And really, in essence, that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about hope. It's the need, the importance for the power of hope. So last week, um, as I'll do from time to time, we watched a video, John Paul Jackson, a video of John Paul Jackson preaching on Entering your destiny. Um, I thought, excuse me, I thought it would be good to hear from our leader, the leader of the Association of Bridge Churches. It's nice to have his voice, you know, speak into our community life. And um, in his message, John Paul talked about the ten nations that Israel had to defeat in order to take possession of their promise, the promised land. And he related those ten nations to ten battles that we'll face as we take possession of our promises, our destinies. And so to paraphrase, I don't want to go through his whole message, but these were the ten personal battles, um, as John Paul listed them, that we would face false accusation, and we'd have to defeat it. That we would deal with pride, that wanting to look like we have it all together when we really don't, which is basically just pride. That was another battle we'd have to face and overcome to reach our destinies. We'd have to battle a religious spirit. We'd have to battle fear, apathy. We'd have to battle a desire to quit. Boy, oh boy, we'll never reach our destiny if we quit, right? 
I believe, I am of the personal conviction that the, the enemy does not have, he does not possess the power or the authority to keep us from our destiny. But he can deceive us into quitting. He can deceive us into giving up prematurely and so we don't finish our race. I don't think he can stop us. He tries to get us to quit. That's a battle that we'll have to overcome to reach our personal destinies. The, the last few battles, self-doubt. Um, zeal. A zeal in, zeal is not a bad thing, but sometimes zeal will, will um, motivate you to take action prematurely. And then things fall apart and you wonder why. So that, that zealous desire to act prematurely. A sense of feeling out of place. Is there anybody in this room who hasn't battled that one? Goodness gracious. In my own house, I feel out of place. In my own job, I feel out of place. In my own church, I feel out of place. So I'll go to another place. And then in that place, I feel out of place there too, right? That's something we have to overcome in order to reach our destiny. And the last one was a sense of discouragement or dis- depression or disillusionment and anxiety, a victim mentality, kind of, kind of clumped all those together. And he said that we would face those. He also said you know, in his message that probably seven of the ten will be stronger than us, which means that we've got to rely on God. Like in my dream, I couldn't beat up those four guys who were beating me up. But the lion of the tribe of Judah... All he had to do was roar, and they ran. It may be stronger than you. I know that many of these are stronger than me, but they're not stronger than God. Amen? Amen. I've faced all of those from time to time. I've defeated some, and to be completely frank, some of them have gotten the best of me. But the battle isn't over yet. I want us to be a place where we battle together, side by side. (laughs) where we win together, and where we celebrate those victories together. If you want to hear that message again, the audio version's on our website. The video version of it's up on YouTube. Just do a search on John Paul Jackson, and the name of the event was Shatter. Just type in John Paul Jackson, space Shatter, and I think it's in seven parts. You can watch that whole video again. Today I want to talk about hope. I want to define what hope is. I want to talk about the connection between faith and hope. And then I want to pray for hope. So if your Bibles are open to Romans 15, I'm just going to read one verse from it. Verse 13. Paul, praying for the church of Rome, writes this. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. Read that again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, as Paul prayed for the church at Rome, I pray for us. I pray for my friends here today. I pray for myself, for this church, every member of this community. Oh, God of hope, fill us with joy and peace as we trust in you so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Make that so. Make it real for us. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen? Let me give you a little context. I just read one verse today, but let me give you some context. The the book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the saints at Rome. He probably um, wrote it toward the end 
of um, his three-month stay in Greece on his third missionary journey in about the year uh, 58 A.D. It was written while he was in Corinth. And the theme of the entire uh, letter, this epistle, is that the gospel is God's power to save. Romans is an amazing book of Scripture. I've heard it said that if we could have had only one book of the Bible, if only one book would have survived, that Romans would be the best one because it most eloquently and expansively lays out the gospel message. Listen to what some heroes of our faith have said about the book of Romans. Martin Luther praised the book of Romans. He says it is the chief part of the New Testament and the perfect gospel, the absolute epitome of the gospel. John Calvin said of Romans, when anyone understands this epistle, he has a passage open to him to the understanding of the whole of Scripture. Samuel Coleridge, English poet, literary critic, said Paul's letter to the Romans is the most profound work in existence. Frederick Gadot, a 19th century Swiss theologian, called the Book of Romans the cathedral of the Christian faith. A former pastor of the Westminster Chapel, G. Campbell Morgan, said Romans was the most pessimistic page of literature upon which your eyes ever rested, and at the same time the most optimistic poem to which your ears have listened. Bible commentator Richard Lenski wrote, Romans is beyond question the most dynamic of all New Testament letters ever as it was written, uh, even as it was written at the climax of Paul's apostolic career. And another from uh, Martin Luther. He said Romans, that, he said of Romans that it was the chief part of the New Testament and the purest gospel. He urged Christians to know it by heart and to treasure it daily as bread for the soul. By chapter 15, Paul is beginning to bring this great epistle to a close, and he's reminding us how we should live in Christ. And he prays for us. Verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What's hope? What is hope? I've heard it said that a man can live three months without food, three days without water, three minutes without air, and three seconds without hope. We need to have hope. Hope is powerful. And maybe the the only comparison to hope in its power is the power of hopelessness. Can you think of a moment in your life when either you felt hopeless and hope came into the picture and how it was like an incredible spark of life or just the opposite? What, can you remember a moment in time where hopes were dashed as if it was stolen from your heart and how the whole situation in an instant seems to crumble? There's power in hope. The presence of it or the absence of it, there's power and hope. I've watched hope instantly transform the hearts of men. 
Nothing seems impossible. Nothing seems impossible for those who have hope. We all need, I know I need it, and I know some of you guys. <laughs> I know that you need the power of Romans 15, 13 to be a reality for you. You need the God of all hope, filling your hearts with hope to overflowing. You need that. We all need it. So what is hope? A definition. Strong's concordance takes the Greek word, elpis, uh, and defines it this way. It's an expectation of good. Hope is an expectation of good. Specifically, a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. In the biblical context, that's the, that's the primary focus on hope. Webster's Online Dictionary defines hope as a desire with anticipation, a desire with the expectation of obtainment, or to expect with confidence. Hope is unseen. Hope is something that we cannot see. Romans 8.24 says, Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? Right? And Hebrews 11.1, 1, a great definition of faith, says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So hope is unseen. Faith is being sure of what you hope for. Can you have faith without hope? If faith is being sure of what you hope for, if you have nothing that you hope for, can you have faith? I think they work in tandem together. So in other words, hope is an eager expectation. Let me give you some word pictures. I remember as a small boy on, at Christmas, I shared a room with my two brothers, and we would pretend that we were asleep, waiting for Santa to come, right? And, and deliver all the presents. I can remember one year in particular, my uncle, as I know now, but as a little boy, boy we didn't know then, he was pretending to have an argument with Santa because the reindeer were making a mess on the roof. Mm. And my brothers and I were sitting there saying, no, 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 don't chase them away, don't chase them away. In that bedroom, before we'd seen anything, when we went to bed that night, there were no gifts underneath the tree. In that bedroom, before we'd seen anything, my brothers and I, we had hope. We had an eager expectation that when mom or dad came to wake us up and bring us downstairs, that there would be gifts underneath that tree. And those gifts were for us. That's hope. That's an eager expectation. Even though it wasn't seen, we knew it would be there. We knew that we knew. It was an eager expectation. We knew we were going to obtain something. There was going to be stuff. And it was going to be for us. Another word picture. Give me an idea of what hope is. I remember when Nadine went into labor with our, our first child, our daughter Lisa. And she went through 18 hours of labor, some of it really hard. And it went all through the night. It was a hard night. And we finally got to the point where the doctor said um, that Nadine needed to have a, a C-section. Actually, the doctor said, 
we'll try one more drug. And if that doesn't work in an hour, we'll do a C-section. And Nadine had it. She said, what are you going to do in an hour? You're going to cut me in an hour, doc? Cut me now. <laughs> and he was like, okay, well, you have to sign this. Fine. She just signed anything at that point, you know? She was done. But at the time, this particular doctor, that hospital, they wouldn't let me in the delivery room. I waited outside as Nadine had a C-section. As I waited out there, I was nervous, I was concerned, but I had hope. Man, I had an eager expectation that soon, that very soon, I was going to hold my son or my daughter in my arms and that my wife would be okay. And it wasn't long till they brought her out and that hope was satisfied. I held her in my arms. And to this day, she is the apple of my eye. That's hope. In the waiting room, before I ever saw her, I knew she was coming. I had an eager expectation. That's what hope is. Romans 5.5 promises us that hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. Write that one down. Have that highlighted. Because there's going to be days where you're going to feel disappointed. And you're going to think, what happened? I had hope. And it's gone today. Remember the truth that's written in God's Word in black and white. Hope does not disappoint. And you need to know that for the days when it feels like labor's never going to end or Santa's never going to come. Hope does not disappoint. Now, there's a distinction between hope and faith. I already made reference to it, but Hebrews 11, 1. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for. Two different things. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, famous verse. It says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. There's an obvious distinction between the two, but what is it? I would dare say if we asked half the room to define faith and the other half of the room to define hope, that the definitions would be pretty similar. And it would be hard to kind of see where one ends and the other begins. So I thought this might be helpful. Found a great commentary by Martin Luther. His commentary on the book uh, of Galatians. And he addresses this very question, the distinction between hope and faith. I want to share a little bit with you. Luther writes, The question occurs to us, what difference is there between faith and hope? We find it difficult to see any difference. Faith and hope are so closely linked that they cannot be separated. Still, there is a difference between them. And then Luther goes on to offer five distinctions. And I want to share those five distinctions between hope and faith with you. Note the first one. He says that hope and faith differ in regard to their source. Faith originates in the understanding, while hope rises in the will. Faith originates in the understanding, while hope rises in the will. That's number one. Number two, they differ in regard to their function. 
Faith says what is to be done. Faith teaches, describes, directs. Well, hope, on the other hand, exhorts the mind to be strong and courageous. That's the second one. Let me repeat it for you. Faith says what's to be done. It teaches, describes, and directs, while hope exhorts the mind to be strong and courageous. Third, they differ in regard to their objectives. Faith concentrates on the truth, while hope looks to the goodness of God. Remember that one. Faith concentrates on the truth, while hope looks to the goodness of our God. Fourthly, they differ in sequence. Faith is the beginning of life before tribulation. Hope comes after and is born of tribulation. Consider Romans 5 5. Suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, right? And the fifth distinction that Luther offers, they differ in regard to their effect. Faith is a judge. It judges errors. Well, hope is a soldier. It fights against trials, tribulations, despondency, despair, and waits for better things to come in the midst of evil. Faith is a judge. Hope is a soldier. And later on, Luther sums it up nicely. He says, by faith we begin, but by hope we continue. By faith we begin, by hope we continue. So who needs help continuing? Proverbs thirteen twelve reminds us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. But the longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Who has felt their hope deferred? Probably all of us. Let me remind you of Tom Zawacki's two undeniable truths of the universe. Number one is God is good. And number two is that God loves me. Everything else begins at number three. This will if you can hold on to this truth, it'll help, you, it'll help your hope. It'll help increase the level of hope. When hope has been deferred, when your hope is weak, it attacks whether or not you truly believe that God is good. And even if you can muster up the fact that, yes, I intellectually I philosophically, I even theologically believe that God is good. I'll question whether or not that goodness is extended to me and whether or not he loves me. Two, undeniable, never, ever changing truths of the universe is that God is good. And God does love you. That never, ever changes. No matter what your circumstances are, no matter how your circumstances define number three on that list. God's still good. And he still loves you. Everything else begins at number three. 
We serve the God of all hope. That's how Paul chooses to define him in Romans chapter 15. And this God of hope, this God of all hope, he loves you lavishly and extravagantly. He couldn't have described it any more extravagantly than he did in his son. Sending his son here and the price that his son paid. The scripture promises us that even when we're faithless, that still he's faithful. I tell you today that he's trustworthy and that we can place our hope in him. We can place our trust in him. Hebrews 10.13 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. What promises are you still waiting on? What hope has been deferred? What's God promised you? What was it that he promised you a long, long time ago? And you haven't seen that promise fulfilled yet. I want to tell you that he who makes a promise, that our God, when when he promises, he is faithful to keep his promise. Growing up in my house, growing up as a little boy, um, there were lots of broken promises. More often than not, they were circumstances beyond my mother or father's control. But there were there was a long list of broken promises. You know, and you know, I mean to the point where you know, if dad said he would take us to the Met game on Saturday, you could bet your last dollar that game would be rained out. And so the word promise became a very important word to me. And I would not tell somebody I promised them I would do something unless I knew that I knew that I could come through for them. And somehow we kind of imparted this to our children. And it, it was illustrated to me how significant it became in our family life when, when Tommy was about, I don't know, 10 or 12 years old. In the house we lived in in West Virginia, there was a basketball court across the street. And I was in my study. I was working on something. I don't know, a sermon. I was working on something. I was busy. And my son could be relentless, you know. <laughs> hey, Dad, let's go play basketball across the street. All right, Tom, soon. We'll, we'll go soon. He give me a break for about, you know, 12 seconds. And he come back, Dad, Dad, can, can we go play basketball, you know, across the street? I, I, I want to go play basketball. I said, all right, I'm working on something. You know, you know, we'll we'll go out there soon, and he must have come back seven or eight times. Dad, Dad, can we go play basketball? Finally, I looked at him. I said, Tommy, I promise you that when I'm done with this, we'll go play basketball. And that settled the issue in his heart. He turned around and he walked away. So later on, I asked him. I said, Hey, how, you were just like, you know, right in my face, wanting to go play, and then you stopped coming over. I said, What happened? He said, Dad, you said you promised. He says, Not no. Once you say that word, if you say you promise, you're going to do it, right? 
that kind of did my daddy heart some good that day, you know. Our Heavenly Father is perfect. He loves us perfectly. And if he's made a promise to you, he's going to keep that promise. He is faithful. Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Why do we have to hold unswervingly? Because the circumstances of our life are swerving all over the place. This way and that way. But we hold on tight when he's made a promise. So I ask you again, what promises has God made to you? What has he promised you? What are the ones that you're still holding on to and they're yet to be fulfilled? I want you to know that the one who made that promise is faithful. He's faithful. I love the example of of Abraham as described in Romans chapter 4. Beginning at verse 18, Paul writes, he says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and became the father of many nations. Against all hope, in hope, he believed and became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said of him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And the same God who fulfilled the promises for Abraham is the same God who will fulfill the promises for you. Now, as I've said many times on Sunday morning, his ways are not our ways. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. His ways are higher than our ways. Would you birth nations through a man who is 100 years old and his wife is 90? We don't have a box for that. That doesn't make reasonable, logical sense to us. But his ways are not our ways. His logic is vastly higher and superior to our ways. So even though your circumstances might be saying that you're too old for this, and I can't possibly do in my life what God said he's going to do, it's not impossible for him. And it seems like the God that we serve delights in taking wild and crazy circumstances just to show how glorious and how big he is how powerful and how magnificent he is. Nothing is impossible for him. So who's heart sick today? Whose hope has been deferred for so long that your heart's actually broken? Who's running low on hope? Who has promises from God that are just waiting there? They're on the shelf, and they seem impossible to you as they seemed impossible for Abraham. Who feels hopeless? I want to pray for you today. I really do. I went through those 40 days of visions, right? And in one of those 40 days, I had an encounter with a spiritual being called hope. And at the end of that encounter, she gave me a gift 
When I, when I opened this gift, it was filled with images and pictures of hope. Pictures from my life of what it was and what will be. And then she took that gift and she pressed it into my heart. And I knew that something from the Spirit was imparted to me. From the spiritual being that represents the nature and the character of this God of all hope. And I want to give you whatever he's given me. What I've freely received, it's my privilege, it's my delight, my pleasure to freely give to you. So, John, if you could find some mellow kind of music, that would be cool. And let's, um, let's pray. Lord, we call upon you, the God of all hope. We place our trust in you. You who are the God of all hope. We place our trust in you. We put our confidence in you. You are faithful to Abraham. We put our trust in you. You are faithful to Isaac and Jacob. Lord, we put our trust in you. You are faithful to Joseph and to David. We put our trust in you today. You are faithful to Peter and to Paul. We put our trust in you. Well, we agree together that you are good, that you're perfectly good. Well, we agree that you love us. We put our trust in you. So I pray this morning, Lord, I ask that you would remind my friends of the promises that you've made to them. Bring back to mind. There have been prophetic words spoken over almost everyone in this room. Lord, remind them of the promises you've made. Lord, you've spoken to them in dreams and in visions. Remind them of the promises you've made. You've spoken to them in your word. Remind them of the promises. Do it. Do it. Do it. Remind them. Lord, we remember the promises. We remember what you said. Lord, just like the dream I had last night, some of my friends here, they've been robbed. They've been mugged. Promises have been stolen from them that belongs to them. Lord, I ask that you would come this morning like you did at the end of that dream. Come like the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
and roar over their lives. Lord, I ask that you would sovereignly contend with those things that have contended with my friends. You do it, Lord. Now, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, if you feel like, if you're feeling hopeless, if you feel like hope has been deferred, you just raise your hand. I want to I pray for you guys. Lord, your word promises that a longing fulfilled is like a tree of life. Lord, actually, you plant that tree. Lord, I pray that that seed would germinate and sprout. Lord, I pray that the earth would be broken and the tree would come forth in every heart. Do it, Lord. Lord, an impartation. What you've given me, I give to them. Impart hope. Give it to them. Give it to them. Impart that eager expectation for good. Lord, that eager expectation. Give it to them. Do it. An eager expectation for good. Lord, hope. Hope. Hope! I just speak hope in Jesus' name. Fill her up. Fill her up. Lord, I pray that you give us a new vision for hope. Give us an eager expectation for tomorrow. For the promises that you made. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Lord, I pray especially for those who waited a long time where hope has been deferred. Pour it in. Pour it in. Pour it in, Lord. Do it, Lord. Do it. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank you that you're, you are faithful. That you do not lie. That you do what you said you were going to do. Release hope. Give a new vision. Open eyes, oh God, to see like they've never seen before. Give a new vision for hope. A new vision for hope. A new vision for hope. Hope. I just speak hope. I just impart. What was imparted to me, what was given to me, I freely give to you. Pour it in, Lord. Pour it in. Pour it in. With the authority I have in Jesus' name, I declare it's a new day. The old has passed away. 
I declare an end to the former season, a beginning to the new season. It's a new day. Impart hope, oh God. Just breathe it on your people. Breathe it deep into them. Hope. Hope. Let there be hope. Fill this room with hope. Dreams and visions. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Stir it up in your people. Stir it up. Do it, Lord. I declare a new day in the name of Jesus. I declare an end to the old season. And ask, Lord, for new beginnings. Blessings, Lord. Blessings, Lord. Blessings. Hope. Hope. I just speak it. Full and free and partaking. Bless your people. Bless your people. I declare that the days of mourning are over. Mourning is over. Lord, let there be a release of joy. That we would overflow with joy and peace as we trust in you. God of all hope. God of all hope. You are the God of all hope. I pray that we would know you. That we know that part of your nature and your character. The God of all hope. Do it, Lord. Come and do God-sized things. Come and do the things that only you can do. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Fulfill the promises. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. More of you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the for the people in this church. Thank you for this community. Lord, I pray that you would um, that you would step into our dreams, like you stepped into mine last night. And Lord, I ask you to change everything. Change it. Lord, just like you, you replayed the tape and you went back and you changed the outcome in my dream, I pray for the circumstances in my friends' lives, Lord. Roll back the tape. Lord, I pray for a different ending. Change, Lord. In Jesus' name, let there be change. Change in Jesus' name. the body. We, we yield to you. We give ourselves to you, oh God. We submit ourselves to your process, to your plan, and to your purpose. Father, as it, as it were, we, we lay ourselves down on the altar. Come and have your way. 
Come and have your way. Lord, I pray that every promise that you've given to individuals here and every promise that you've spoken over this church will be fulfilled in your perfect time and to your glory. Do it, Lord. Make us one, Lord. Make us one. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraging, that we would encourage one another. We could come alongside, that we no longer be isolated. We could walk together and stand together, run together, battle together, win together. Lord, I pray that you would pour out upon this body passionate love for one another. That we would love one another like you've loved us. May people know us. Know that we're yours. By the way that we love. Do it. So I encourage you. Write down the promise. The promises God's made to you. Write them down. Put them back up on your refrigerator. Tape them to the mirror in your bathroom or on your dresser. Maybe they're tucked away inside your Bible or an old notebook. Pull them out. Remember the promises. Remember that the one who gave them to you, he's, he's faithful. He's faithful to bring in the past. Well, I can almost feel it in the room. You know, the lie of the enemy is that, that I'm, you know, this is what you hear. I'm not good enough or I blew it. I got to tell you what, God's bigger than your mistakes. That his love covers a multitude of sins. And that he's factored your stupidity into your destiny. He's big. God's bigger than your mistakes. And he knew you would screw up when he gave you that promise. He's not surprised. You didn't dupe him. He's not sitting on his throne disappointed that you made a mistake. I got to tell you what, he loves you. He's a big God. And what he's called you to is beyond your ability to make it happen. It requires him. So Lord, we ask you to step in and to be God. Lord, I pray that you would shatter, that you would erase and annihilate the lies of the enemy. 
that somehow we're not good enough. Lord, we know we're not good enough. That's why we needed Jesus. And we thank you for Jesus. That he was bigger than my sin. That he was purer than my stains. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you come. You make a way where there seems to be no way. You do what we can't do. Do it, Lord. You are good. You do love us. We put our hope and our trust in you. Yes. Yes. Lord, so I pray that you would put fire in our belly, that you bring strength to our legs, that we would fix our eyes on you and that we would run as to finish the race. Do it, Lord. The one you've marked out for us. I thank you that you've marked out a path for everyone here. Thank you, Lord. I tell you today, I know, I know, I know that the end of your story has not been written. The book on you has not been closed. And there's a surprise ending for you. There's a twist that's coming because he's that big. And he's that good. And he loves you that much. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Amen. Amen. You guys have an amazing day. And I'll see you uh, during the week.